Okay. Um, John Wesley. Anybody know who that dude is? A couple of you. Lived about 300 years ago. I see more hands. Good. Uh, he's a, a founder of the Methodist Church, Methodist movement at that time. Uh, but he, when he was in Oxford, he helped start the Holy Club. Sounds like a kind of club I would like to be a part of when I was in college called the Holy Club, right? Uh, the students in this Holy Club were spiritually serious. And they were absolutely committed themselves to a couple of things, six things. Going to church, studying the Bible, fasting, praying, doing evangelism, but doing evangelism in prisons. And in those days, there are things called workshops. Uh, I would imagine that they were probably uh, not very good um, environments. Uh, acts of mercy. Uh, particularly to the poor children of the city. They would provide food and clothing and education. Now, would you agree this is really good stuff, correct? Does anyone think this is not good stuff? Fasting, you know, we can all kind of go, ooh, I don't know, kind of like my Sunday brunch. But all the others were like, sign me up, I'm in. But you know what? Wesley describes his start and his continuation in the days of the Holy Club this way. I had faith of a slave, not a son. And right now, many of us here, a lot of us here, feel those words, Wesley's words, deep in our bones. I have the faith of a slave, but not a daughter. You know what the leading cause of spiritual burnout is? Psychological burnout, whatever you want to call it today. Mental health burnout. You know what the leading cause of it is? The faith of a slave and not a son. Do you know what the, the leading cause of relational dysfunction in marriages and amongst children and in churches and among leadership boards faith of a slave and not a son. Do you know what the leading cause for people leaving the church today? The faith of a slave and not a son. Do you know what the leading cause of unchurched people saying, man, I will never set foot in a church. The faith of a slave and not a son. Do you know what the leading cause of a church and a ministry being impotent and unfruitful and ineffective. The faith of a slave and not a son. Do you know why our relationship, the leading cause for why our relationship with God is so unfeeling, so metallic? The faith of a slave and not a son. I had the faith of a slave, not a son. Does anyone know how Wesley's life changed? Anyone read that part of church history? Do you know how he changed? Did he actually change from a slave to a son while he was in Christianity in the church? Answer, he read Luther's commentary on Galatians. <laughs> oh, 
gosh, that's awesome. Let's stand and let's read Galatians, shall we? Now, uh, we don't have it up on the screen, so you're going to have to just look at me and listen to me. Galatians 3.23, here we go. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you hear that? In Christ Jesus, that's once he says that. In Christ, once. You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ twice, have put on Christ, same thing, three times. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, four times. And if you are in Christ five times, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean, in other words, let me explain just a little bit more in case I, I feel like I need to. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, as long as he's a minor, as long as he's under age, is no different from a slave. This is the way the Greco-Roman world worked in those days. Though he was an owner of everything, but he was under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we are children, minors, under age, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What is that? We just said that in verse 23, the law. The spiritual fabric of the universe. This also includes the, the many little laws of life, like the law of thinness and the law of success and the law of capability and the law that you must have children. All the laws of life, capital L law, the Ten Commandments, and all the little laws, those are the elementary principles. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now, Paul says it another way in Romans. Just so you get this idea, it's so, so important. Anytime the Holy Spirit is sent to your life, he's actually, Paul says in Romans, pouring his love into your life. So the Holy Spirit is divine love. So anywhere the Holy Spirit goes in you, it's the same thing as saying he's putting the love of God in you. How do we know this? Because even in this text, it says this. He sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts. That's the sixth time if you're counting. Crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. In other words, you sit on the throne. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh, Lord, would you, would you cause the sound of dry bones to rattle? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the faith of a slave, not a son. There's not one culture in human history, starting back at Cain when he founded the first city, there's not one culture in human history that aspires to be enslaved. Would you agree? There's not one culture that said, hey, we want chains. Oh, please come oppress us. Control us, please. There's not one romance in human history since the first marriage of Adam and Eve that dreams of enslavement. No one, right, would you agree, says, I want a loveless marriage. Please give me a toxic relationship. There's not one church person in church history since Pentecost that desires enslavement. Wouldn't you agree? No one in church history has said, oh man, I want spiritual exhaustion. 
please give me spiritual anxiety and depression. Please give me a dementor like God in cold Christianity. No one wants to live like a slave, agree? But we do. So why do we live like a slave? And then how do we change? How do you change from a slave to a daughter, a slave to a son? That's the sermon this morning. Let's look at why do we live like a slave. Well, it's impossible to miss all the explicit references, 12 to be exact, in this text, right? If you have your Bible open or your electronic device on, look at this. Look at verse 23, held captive, verse 23, under the law, imprisoned, verse 23, guardian, verse 24, under a guardian, verse 25, a slave, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, under guardians, 2, under managers, 2, enslaved, 3, under the law, 4, under the law again, 5, a slave again, 6. Holy cow. What's Paul's point? Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to churched people. I had the faith of a slave, but not a son. Why do we live like a slave? There are two reasons in this text that I'm going to pull out. The first is this, because faith and self is slavery. You're like, where's that coming from? Well, just think about it really quick. Faith and self is slavery. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, remember, we know that faith is, is a loaded word. It's like loaded. You, it's a suitcase word. You open it, and out of it comes faith in Jesus for justification, right? Justification by faith. He's already established that. We've already seen that in earlier chapters. So when he says, now, before faith came, in other words, before faith in Jesus came, before faith in a Jesus justification came, before that we were held captive under the law. In other words, we were held under a faith in ourselves. When you're under the law, you're, you're locked in, trusting yourself to justify yourself. That's what he's saying. So we were under, so we got this, this faith in Jesus versus a faith in self. Imprisoned everything until the coming of faith in Jesus would be revealed. So faith in self is slavery. But you already know this to be true, don't you? We already know this to be true. If we just think about it long enough, we'd be like, oh. right? We know that faith in self enslaves you in your head. You know that when you, if you were to say, what is going on in my head? Well, I'm trying to think myself better. You know that when you... You parse that and you go, I'm trying to think myself better. That's faith in yourself. You know that when you get in your head, you're, you're thinking as a way to have some form of control in your life. In fact, Paul in Romans actually says it. He says the thinking of the flesh is this dynamic that you actually think you can control your life and your world. So you get in your head doing all this work. We know that faith in self is slavery. And in the process, we know that when we're in our head trying to find some form of control, we actually spin a world that doesn't exist. We become a false prophet. That's why false prophets were so destructive in Israel. Because they would say things about God that is not true. They would 
They would spin a world that doesn't exist. They would spin a world about themselves that doesn't exist. They would, they would spin a world about others that doesn't exist. And that's what's called slander. I mean, you can see how this works, right? This is what we do. You know faith in yourself enslaves you in self-absorbed relationships. We know this, right? We know that when we have faith in ourselves, we're thinking things like, my needs aren't being met. I'm not being loved. No one appreciates me. So-and-so is judging me and accusing me. I'm always on trial. I wonder what they think of me. We know that faith in self captures us in self-absorbed relationships. And when that happens, we have so little love in our life. We can't get outside of ourselves. We know that. One more, we know that faith in self enslaves us to performing for God and others, right? We know that. This is why we're so stressed and we're so anxious and we're so living like a slave in our relationship with God because we're so needing to perform to please him. And then we have relationships like that. We create kids that we make them be enslaved to pleasing us. And this is why we're so spiritually bipolar, right? If our performance is good, we're doing good. Hey, man, I had my quiet time. I fasted. I didn't. Then we're down in the dumps spiritually. We're up and down based on our, ironically, our performance. But it's not Jesus's performance that we're based on. It's our performance. And we go up and down. And this is why we go from one tradition to another tradition. Because we're looking for that, that epic spiritual drug that's going to finally change our life. Faith in self enslaves us. I had the faith of a slave, not a son. There's one more in this text. Did you see it? It's in verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, there's no racial, cultural, religious thing going on. I'm going to define what that thing going on in a minute. So there's no racial, cultural, religious thing going on. What's going on? Well, whatever it is, there is none of it. There's no slave or free, so there's no socioeconomic thing going on. Whatever it is, there's none of it. There's no male or female, so there's no gender thing going on. Whatever that is, there's none of it. For you're all one. So it means that you're all one. You're all one before God. You're all one before each other. And you're all one before whatever law out there that's out there trying to accuse you and condemn you. Because we're all one, where? In Christ Jesus. So what is going on? (laughs) What is this slavery that's being talked about in this? It's called self-sorting. That's my new favorite word that I learned just a couple of weeks ago. It's the same thing as saying self-identifying, self-defining, or to use Paul's language, self-justifying. So read it again, it would go like this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, there's no racial, cultural, religious self-sorting. Not a lot of that going on today. Self-defining, self-identifying, self-creating. There's neither slave nor free. In other words, there's no socioeconomic self-sorting, self-identifying. There's no male or female, meaning there's no gender (laughs) self-identifying. Self-sorting is slavery, but we already know this to be true, don't we not? We know that self-sorting by race and by culture does not heal race relations. It makes them worse. 
We know that self-sorting by race and cultural distinctives does not uh, unite us, but divides us. It doesn't break down barriers, it puts up barriers. It doesn't end racism, it spreads racism. We know that self-sorting by socioeconomic or gender identities enslave because they're incapable of building a solid self. So in traditional generations, the male gender was godlike. In modern traditions and cultures, the male gender is demon-like. Self-sorting by gender, self-sorting by identifying by socioeconomic. You know, the elite folks are righteous and the lower middle class folks are unrighteous. I mean, this self-sorting never brings a solid self. It never brings love. It never unites. It enslaves us, Paul is saying. It's so interesting. There's a guy named John Zoll. He was reflecting on this passage, and he said, Paul assumes that his audience is used to being grouped into these categories. So even in the ancient world, people were grouped into these categories. Paul's completely unconvinced by racial distinctions. They are to him unpersuasive and tertiary. They deal with things that are only skin deep. To his way of thinking, outside differences hold no merit. The human nature beneath the surface of every category is the same. All people, no matter where they come from, need God's love. Self-sorting is slavery. Faith in self is slavery. I had the faith of a slave, not a son. So how do we change? Let's shift. How do we change? How do you, how do Christians, because this is who this is written to, how do Christians functionally, experientially move in the well of their being and their identity and the way they think and the way they feel and the way they experience life and the way they desire and the way they do life and the way they relate to others and the way they do church and the way they love their family and the way they do work and relate to sports. How do we no longer relate to these things like a slave but like a son or like a daughter? How does that happen? At the end of the book of Job, what... I mean, wouldn't you agree that the book of Job is the greatest book on human suffering ever written, right? Is there any other? Come see me. I want to know what it is. There is no other. I, I dare you to find me another book. He says at the end of this book, this epic book of human suffering, this epic book of soul wreckage, relational wreckage, of losing everything, literally. At the end of this book, this Job dude, whoever he is, this ancient man, says this of God. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I've heard of you, God. I've gone to church. I've read all the Sunday school stories. I've been catechized. I've memorized Romans and the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm a leader in the church, and I teach Sunday school. I read the Bible. I'm orthodox. I can argue Arminianism, Calvinism, and every other ism that exists on the planet. I live a godly life. 
Everyone in the ancient world knew that Job lived a godly life. Everyone. People in the church and outside the church. The whole world, he had a reputation. He was famous for it. He knew that all good things come from God and he thanked God for them. And he said, I heard of you. But I didn't see you. Now I see you. Now you're clear to my mind. You're real to my heart. Now who you are has passed into my soul. I experience you, God. What we're going to look at just now, we're about ready to do this. What we're about to look at, you're probably going to think to yourself, I've heard this before, blah, blah, blah. Boring, blah, 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 pastor. Tell me something new, pastor. Church is so predictable. I get it. Please hear me. I get it. I've been to church. I go to church every Sunday, almost. But please hear me. Job said the same thing. I've heard it before. But now I see it. Our problem is not hearing. Our problem Our problem is not getting it right. Our problem is getting it felt. I have the faith of a slave, not a son. Paul wants you to see it. Look at verse 4. Here it comes. On vivid, explicit, high-definition imagery. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth. Now, when it says God sent forth, that's the mission. That's the language of mission. So in Paul's mind, Paul is saying, listen, when the time had come, God sent a mission. God has a mission. And he sends his son on a mission. And who is the son? This is the son of God. This is the eternal son. This is the divine son. I read all these books on Alexander the Great, and the one thing that got me over all of them is that he finally conquered every known world. He's in his last. His men are exhausted. They're at the end of everything. This last tribe, this last kingdom is, knows it, and this last king actually thinks he can beat Alexander. And so Alexander walks in, and the king starts reciting all the stuff. You're thousands of miles away from home. Your men are exhausted. You are a nothing now. You are in my place. And all Alexander did was turn to his most loyal advisor and he said, jump. And he jumped off a cliff. And everyone here, we're like, that's just disgusting. But the man jumped because he loved Alexander. It wasn't because he hated him. He would give his life for him. And you have God the Son with God the Father in the cosmic regions. 
And God the Father says to God the Son, jump. So he was born of a woman, born as a human son, a substitute human son, born under the law, which means he's born a slave. A slave. Jump. I love you. I love them. So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. We were just talking about this. You know, you have kids. I have kids. I didn't choose my kids. I got my kids. If you have kids, you didn't choose your kids. But if you adopt, you chose those kids. All of you who are adopted right now, your mom and dad <laughs> chose you. I would choose my kids. Do you see it now? I once heard about you, but now I see it. What do you see? Your chains are gone. You've been set free. TJ, give me one more minute, bud. One more minute, because I'm going to do it again. But I told him to come at this point. Your chains are gone, you've been set free. You know the song, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And some of you are saying, I hear that, Jeff. And you're desperate right now because you're like, but I still don't see it. I tell my kids all the time, I have five of them, I tell them all the time, I love you. And I know most of the time they're probably thinking, yeah, we know, Dad. Well, Ty, he just tells me, I know, Dad. What if they could be in my love, though? In it. What if they could be surrounded by my love? In it. What if they could be secure in my love? In it. What if they could be safe in my love? In it. What if they could be calm and courageous in my love? In it. For in Christ Jesus, verse 26, you are all sons of God. Fact. Through faith. Fantastic. I've heard this before. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, meaning you became a Christian, have put on Christ. I've been thinking about this all week. I can't shake it. You've put on Christ. I put on my cloak. Do you know what this means? Christ is like your clothes right now, but don't think Western beachwear. Think Middle Eastern ancient world desert wear where you're totally covered. This means that whatever gets to you must first go through him. Do you know what you're suffering right now had to first go through him? Do you know the struggles you have right now had to first go through him? Do you know that your disappointments had to first go through him? Do you know that all your 
hardships and heartaches and pains and tears had to first go through him. What if you could be in his love, surrounded in his love, safe in his love, secure in his love, calm and courageous in his love? My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace.